Hello, hello. Welcome to this episode of the Rogers Radio Podcast. Just wait until you hear who I have on this episode today. Let's get started. Today, I have the honor of introducing and interviewing the Halifax County Commonwealth's attorney, Tracy Quackenbush Martin. How are you today? I'm great, Alyssa. How are you? I am good. I'm a little nervous because I'm so excited to talk to you. (laughs) I feel honored that you're sitting in here with me and taking time out of your busy schedule to get to know you better. That is so kind of you. That was a very, very um, sweet, ebullient introduction. (laughs) I feel very honored to be here and to have the opportunity to speak with you and um, and with your listeners. Yes, and I think everyone's going to be really excited to learn your journey. Um, you are a public figure, and a lot of people don't know kind of your background and where you came from and how you got to where you are today. And that's the purpose of this podcast is to get to know local leaders. And so let's get started on your background. Um, you are currently the Commonwealth Attorney for Halifax County, and I want to know what led you to that. What was your journey to get to where you are today well it went all over the place yeah. before I got to where I am now and I think that's okay yeah. you know um, this was not a position that before I ran for it I ever knew that I would do that it was not in my life's plan it was not um, uh, something that I thought I was gonna do when I decided to go to law school but uh, but I came here nonetheless so mm-hmm. um, the thing that really brought me into this position was a desire to serve my community uh, in the capacity that would uh, that I had that that I could do the best with. So, yeah. and so I, you know, it's service a desire to serve was really why I went to law school in the first place. Um, I had a, a real desire to serve underprivileged communities, um, I, which is what led me to come to the public defender's office right. and uh, and in a in a small community as well. Um, and so I made that choice, and it was a it was a brilliant choice. Not my brilliance, but you know, <laughs> my maker's brilliance, really mm-hmm. kind of creating an opportunity for me at a time that it was just the perfect fit for me. And so I came to work for the public defender's office in Halifax. Um, did not know that then that I was going to stay in Halifax, and had no notion that I would be a prosecutor at that time. Um, but had a great job. I worked with um, a wonderful boss. Uh, Buddy Ward mm-hmm. uh, at the public defender's office, um, who was the public defender for I think a long time mm-hmm. uh, before he recently retired, and um, just had a wonderful time. Um, learned so much in that position. Um, it had its own challenges, but uh, b- challenges. But I really enjoyed uh, the work that I did there, and probably learned the most there. Yeah. Uh, of anywhere until I came into this position, and just really enjoyed that learning. Um, and then I went into private practice. Um, again, um, loved the Halifax community. By that time, had met my husband, yeah. had fallen in love, um, had really put down roots in Halifax. Uh, shortly after that, my parents retired. They moved to Halifax yes. to be with me, so I was all in with all fours. Um, but there came a time where I was really struggling with what was my next step? What was I going to do next? Mm-hmm. And I was seeking... Um, 
I was praying, I was uh, watching, I was trying to decide how I could better serve my community. I just felt like that I was good at what I did and I was looking for something else. Um, and at about that time I had people coming up to me saying, hey, have you thought about running for public mm -hmm. office? Have you thought about what, what about the Commonwealth attorney? And, and so it really kind of, when I heard that voice enough, um, I decided that I needed to really think on that and consider it seriously, even though I hadn't up until that point. And then when I did it, I did it. And, um, and so the journey to, um, to be a leader yeah. in the capacity that I am currently fulfilling was really about striving to find a way to serve as best I could. Yes. Um, and I think if you, if the question of the podcast is, you know, what brings leaders to leadership positions, right. I hope the answers are consistent that I just wanted to serve my community the mm. best way that I can. That's good. And, th and that's really what it was about for me. Yeah. And so did you always know that you wanted to go into law? And I mean, what led you to that aspect? I did not. Okay. Know that I was always going to become uh, a lawyer. So it's funny. Um, I grew up as an animal lover. Okay. Um, and in the sense that sometimes you love the idea of something and that really kind of creates a passion in you, even though you don't have a good outlet for mm -hmm. it. I did not have a good outlet for the level of love that I had for animals. <laughs> right. I mean, at some point I had a bunny, you know, <laughs> or two. At some point I was allowed to have a dog. Yeah. But, um, but these were, I, I was not uh, in a household that I could have just animals whenever I wanted. Um, but I did work for a vet. Mm -hmm. I always thought that I was going to be a veterinarian. Yes. Um, and um, I, I volunteered for a vet and worked after school starting when I was probably 10, you know, maybe before that. And they eventually hired me. Um, and I worked after school. I worked in summers. I worked I, even after I went to college. I, I, I worked at the vet. Uh -huh. um, but, and it wasn't until really I was... Um, uh, I was a couple years into college that I decided that I did not, it wasn't going to be enough for me oh, to, be okay. a, to be a veterinarian yeah. um, and, um, and shifted my gaze to law school um, when it came to, I, I think I just realized that I love, love, love animals and I still do. Mm -hmm. I still adore animals. Mm -hmm. I think I'm very much an animal person um, of all kinds of animals, but, uh, but the dream of being a vet, um, I realized kind of in many ways took me away from people okay and i wanted to be with people yeah um, i'm very much a social creature and um and frankly as my faith has grown slowly <laughs> throughout my adulthood so has my desire to serve people to um to love people for right. all of their faults and to um and try to try to help um, individuals and communities as best I can. Yeah. And so did you made your way to Halifax? Yeah, I did. Why, why, how did you end up in Halifax? Why Halifax? So it's funny. So I had a professor in law school who was absolutely wonderful. I, I worshiped him. His name was Roger Groot. Um, those that and where did you go to law school? Uh, Washington and Lee University okay. in Lexington. Okay. Uh, and that's really what brought me to Virginia in the okay. first place was that okay. law school. So, um, but I I had some classes with Roger Groot. He kind of took me under his wing for a while. Um, I worked for him for um, at least one full school year and I think a couple of summers. 
Um, I helped him edit um, a book or two. Yeah. Um, he, he was really well known within the criminal law um, at that time. I hope he still is, but um, certainly throughout the state. And uh, But he really influenced me strongly. And he realized that I wanted to be a litigator and I wanted to be in the trenches and I wanted to be in there with the people and I wanted to <laughs> slug it out. And, uh-huh. and, um, and he said, you know what you need to do is go work for the public defender in Halifax. Yeah. And it was really strange that when I was applying for jobs, um, there was a position open in the public defender system in Halifax. And it just worked out that it fulfilled a little dream that he had put in my head that I could do that. And it was just, it was like, it was really like the forces of the universe aligned perfectly. Yeah. Um, to bring me here, and I'm so pleased. So yeah. pleased. And how old were you at this time when you were moving to Halifax? Um, I was 25. So what an opportunity yeah. at that. I mean, when you're 25 years old and you have the opportunity to do something like that, that's major. It really that's was. That's a big deal. And, and for me, it was very much a spiritual thing. Right. Even though I think my faith was not in a place where, where certainly where it would, would be mm-hmm. um, and hopefully will be. But... But I, but I realized that I had kind of been floundering for a little while. Right. And I was looking for my place. Like, yeah. Where do I go? And I thought it was all about geography, but it was really something much better, bigger yes. uh, and better. But, um, but when this job came open here and I came here, I was like, it was the first time in years that I was like, you know what? I am at the right place at the right time, exactly where I need to be yes. to do whatever it is that I'm here to do. Yes. Uh, and it was very exciting um, to move to, to Halifax at that time. Yeah. And we talk about that so much on this podcast about, you know, people that are graduating from school or they grew up in a small town and say they never want to come back to a small town. And we have talked about so many times about how many opportunities are in these rural communities where you can come and make a difference and not even realize the amount of opportunities that you'll have along the way. And yeah. it just sounds like that happened to you and it's happened to so many others. And we just like to put out there that there are opportunities in these communities that you can't find in the bigger cities. I cannot agree more. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I grew up in a big place. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Arlington, which is a huge, just right. overwhelmingly large suburb. Um, I think when, I'm guessing, and this yeah. is just by seeing how people feel feel when they are young and I talk to folks um, uh, in this community when you grow up in a small place you really you know the grass may be always greener in some ways right Um, but having grown up in a big place where there is very difficult to be a big fish right uh, in a big sea right it's just a gigantically large sea if you have an interest in leadership living and working in a small place has so many more opportunities um, I had worked at some point in Norfolk, mm-hmm. and I, I had thought about staying there rather mm-hmm. than move to Halifax at one point. And yeah. um, so, and before I moved here, and I realized I was like, if I ever want to be a, a leader in a community, there is so much competition. <laughs> yes, you know, in New York City and mm-hmm. Chicago and Florida, and frankly, in Richmond, you know, and um, you know, in Tidewater, and there's just um, so much more competition and. I'm not saying competition is not healthy. Right. Certainly, you hope that you get the cream of the crop in those locations. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, it's really just about excluding good people because they don't have the stomach yes. for what can easily become a cutthroat thing. And I'm not even talking about politics necessarily. Right. I'm talking about business leadership. 
um, of any kind. Yes. And so I think I just, the light went on at one point and I was like, you know what? I feel like I can make a bigger difference at a more personal level in a smaller community. And, you know, I didn't really decide to come to a smaller community. The job opened and it was where I wanted to be. But there was definitely the thought and, and the epiphany that happened over time from, from living here for a while is seeing, you know, I discovered very early on, I lived here about a year and, you know, the people at the grocery store knew me by name. The people at the post office knew me by name. Um, you know, people were very kind just, and they knew me better than I knew them. And that was just from being a public defender. (laughs) Exactly. Because you touch so many people. Yes. And it's, and, and I would, I would have touched just as many people if I'd lived in Norfolk or Richmond or, 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 or a DC suburb. Right. But relative to the population, that Mm -hmm. wouldn't mean that people would know me. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I didn't come here thinking I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a big fish in a small sea. I didn't come here thinking that at all. But the reality is I found people that knew me and liked me and wanted to help me be a better me. Yes. Just as a factor of being in a small place where, where, you know, if I touch one person in a criminal case, you know, that puts me in contact with a handful of witnesses in a criminal case, it also puts me in contact with all of their families sometimes. You know, and players in the court system and players in the in the post office when you're trying to make deadlines and you're running, you know, please post stamp this today. You know, um, you know, back in back in the day when all that was done, you know, right. on hard copies and and you know, you end up having contact with a percentage, a large percentage of the local population, but with just one one case or a handful of cases or a year's worth of practice. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in Norfolk, I was a law clerk for a year, and I couldn't get those clerks. To do anything, for, I mean, it was very difficult right? to get to get attention for busy administrators, and I worked there. <laughs> you know, yeah. And when I realized that I had worked here for a year or two, and the clerks were sweet and nice and wanted to help me, yes. you know, and were kind to me, I was like, hmm, there is really something to this whole like live and work in a small town, right? You know, I mean, everybody who grows up here has options, whether they recognize mm-hmm. it or not. They mm-hmm. can stay, they can go, mm-hmm. they can go and come back. Yes. But I've lived on both sides. I've lived in London. I've lived outside of Dallas. I've lived in New Orleans, where I went to undergraduate, uh-huh. in Tulane. Um, you know, and I've lived in Lexington, which is a small city. And I've lived in Halifax, which is a, a you know, a small rural community. Yes. And in many, many ways, I have been moving here my whole life. This is where I wanted to be. I just didn't know it at the time. Right. You know, it's 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 a one stoplight. You know, well now there's you know, <laughs> a few more, but not that, I mean, not many. You know, the, not dealing with traffic. Right. Not dealing with people who are rude because mm-hmm. they don't have a tie to the community. Right. You know, the aspect of something in a small place is is. You stand to know someone ever, anywhere you go. Mm-hmm. Anywhere mm-hmm. you go. Mm-hmm. I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit. But, no, you're fine. But but the things that you may think is are bad, the things that were alien to me that I thought were bad when I first moved here. Oh my gosh, I can't go to the grocery store without running into people. I yeah. can't, can't go out to eat without running yeah. into people. You know, everybody knows me. <laughs> you know, I was accustomed to a level of anonymity when I lived in bigger places. Yes. Um, but those things really turned out to be the biggest blessings about living in a, right. in a small place because 
those are the people that will help you when you when you need help. Those are the people that will stop at the, on the side of the road, say, oh my gosh, can I help you fix your tire? Those are the people that'll say, sure, I'll stay open an extra five minutes because you're running, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit late. The, you know, those are the people that, um, that, that, that want to go out of their way to help you because they know you and they wouldn't yes. know you in a big place. Yeah. You know, I, I've realized that the thing when you go to New York or, or London or, or, or any big city, you know, and a storekeeper is rude and mm-hmm. short to you. It's because they don't understand that you are an important client, you know, that you're part of their business base. Yep. They don't have a reason to be nice to you because they are removed from your life. Yes. That does not exist in Halifax. Right. Not right. really, you know, I'll, I'll give a speech about social media on another, in another <laughs> time. I think, I think that's created all kinds of healthy separation, unhealthy separation yes. where people think they could say anything because you're not sitting in front of them. But, but for the most part, that does not exist in a place like Halifax right. where you go to the grocery store, especially as a public figure, but even before that, when, yes. you, when you just care about people, you're not rude if you could help it at all, because this is your, you know, these are the people that you live with and you work with and you see all the time. So, you know, if, if you go, if, if, if a person grows up here, they may, they don't have a sense of the good, the good here. Right. All they see are the walls. Yep. Oh my gosh, this place is too small. I can't stand it. I know Mm -hmm. too many people, too many people know me. I need a fresh start. And I, I totally understand that. And I honor that. And I get that to the extent that I can not having grown up here. Yeah. But having grown up in a place where there is almost exclusive anonymity, mm-hmm. where no one is there to help you, mm-hmm. where no one knows you or mm-hmm. cares, mm-hmm. frankly, mm-hmm. except a circle of people that are so spread thin over a large community that they effectively are, are not present. Right. Um, this is a much better way to live. I agree. And I think it's so important. Everything you said is so important for everyone to to really take in because it's very hard to make an impact in a big area, but we have so many opportunities to make an impact in so many people's lives here in, in Halifax County and in what, you know, that's what we're here to do. That is, is why we're here. Is to make an impact. So you have seen all sides of uh, the judicial system, and you've been a public defender, you've been in private practice, you're now the Commonwealth's attorney, so you're a prosecutor. Tell everyone what that means, what it's like to be on all sides in your career, and kind of what the good parts of that have been, what the rewarding parts have been, and what the tough parts have been of all of those. <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll say it like this. I think the biggest challenge when I... Um, was in the public defender system was simply learning the ropes, um, learning how far I could spread my wings, um, learning how to practice criminal law, and then learning how to practice it better given my circumstances, meaning in a small place. You know, when I joined the public defender system, I was all guns ablazing. I was, <laughs> you know, I fought everything. And I fought everything because I didn't know what the limits were. Yeah. You know, wh- where am I most effective? Mm-hmm. I didn't know where I was most effective. I just knew I wanted to fight. Right. So I fought everything, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and I burned some bridges like that and I made some friends like that. Um, right. But, but at some point I realized, you know, I need to be more effective. It's not, this is not a shotgun approach to, you know, practicing law. I don't, I don't need to, I need to, I need to spend my energy where it makes the most difference and I need to, I need to fight my battles where they right. need to be fought. Um, and so... What a great place to learn. Oh, no, absolutely. That's a good side absolutely. to learn on. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so learning the law 
mm-hmm. and then um, learning um, the need to be um, effective with how I fought mm-hmm. um, were probably the biggest challenges and the most reward and the biggest things that I learned right. that were helpful for the future mm-hmm. in the public defender system. In private practice, it was a very um, it was a it was a very different animal. It was a yes. big adjustment to to all of a sudden have to account for your time. Yes. And make money. <laughs> yes. With that time. Yes. Um, so learning how to do that in private practice was a big challenge. Um, another big challenge that I never had in the public defender system was learning the value of establishing good relations with clientele. Right. With an eye, not only for satisfying a person in this particular case when possible, but also building a clientele. Yes. You don't have any notion of that as a public defender. Sadly, there's no end in sight to the need for that service. Right. And so, you know, you don't go about it. Although I I think, I think as a people pleaser, I always want, you know, people to be pleased. Sure. You know, but, but honestly, you don't have to please people to be a, a very effective person in the public defender system because there's a line waiting at the door of clients mm-hmm. that need your help. Mm-hmm. But that's not true in private practice. In private practice, you have to build a clientele who knows you, which means, you know, if, if you're a royal jerk to everybody, yes. you know, um, you're, you're probably not going to have a healthy line at the door. Yeah, um, and so and, Yeah, so learning to build... Um, a reputation with how you treat your clients um, was was probably the most valuable lesson I learned in private practice. Um, also, that was sort of the beginnings of me learning how to manage. Oh, people, yes, man- managing people. Yes, um, you know, and 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 I learned some things the hard way. Sure, um, I learned that. Um, you can't disengage from management <laughs> and expect, you know, the ship to stay afloat the way that it, at least in, it, as, as afloat as it should be. You're so true. So um, true. You know, I think, I think a lot of people, and I learned from watching others, some, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Right. But, you know, I mean, there are plenty of lawyers who like sometimes leaders in the law yeah. that when it comes to managing, they just duck and cover. It's you know, <laughs> so like, easy to do. I'm a lawyer and I'm not here. And I'm just, I'm just gonna, you know, there's a management issue. Okay, well, bye bye. I got support. <laughs> so you easy know. to do. And, and and those are bad management. Examples. Right. It and is. I'll, and I'll confess, I did that. I did. Right. I did that. I, I was busy, and I, you know, and I didn't want to deal with management <laughs> when I didn't have to. But I, but I, but I, um, I learned from those mistakes. Yeah. And um, um, learned that there are there are times where. You can be judicious mm-hmm. and, sh- and should be ju- judicious, certainly with when it comes to like discipline and, and things like that um, it, within the office, because we're all on the same team. I'm a very firm believer that, you know, every person who works, I don't care if your job is sweeping. I don't care if your job is, you know, the front window. I don't care if your job is, you know, the most um, refined skill set. Everybody is a necessary part of the yes. team. That was true when I was in private practice. That is most certainly true where I am now. Right. Everybody has a vitally important role, and if there's a if there's a gap, then then the machine breaks down, slows down, is is less effective. And and so, you know, I realize that when a person refuses to engage in management, and they are the manager, right? 
that means they are putting other people's happiness in jeopardy. It's not just about them. And, and, and I think that was a difficult lesson to learn. Um, so, um, but then I think in this position, um, if we want to talk about the biggest challenges in this position, it's probably realizing, number one, I can't please everyone. Right. I think that I came into this position looking at the idea of pleasing all people all the time, knowing in my head that it wasn't possible. Sure. But in my heart, it was the challenge that I was going to rise to. Yes. Because life is all about challenges. It is. It's all about seeing the next challenge, attacking that Mm -hmm. challenge, climbing, you know, and mounting your flag on that challenge. That's, that's, I think that's what, um, life is largely about. I mean, sometimes we don't want to climb the hill. Sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we just want to sleep for a while or retreat from, from challenges. Mm -hmm. But, but I think recognizing the challenge, whatever that challenge is, and then being willing to fight to get to the top of that and get over it and to, to sort it out is, is, is absolutely necessary. I think I, I kind of hope everyone's like that. I know that everyone's (laughs) not like that, but it's certainly a quality that every leader should have. Um, but, but I think that the, the most difficult thing is, um, not just managing people, not just recognizing that, you know, um, um, people's strengths and, and capitalizing on that for, for an efficient machine, you know, an efficient agency, an efficient company, um, whatever it is, but, but you, you know, recognizing people's strengths and using them, Absolutely. um, you know, being willing given given a marketplace um, that sustains um, this philosophy and given you know the desire to make people better working around people's deficiencies where you can um, when it doesn't harm the machine right um, and but, but all of those things I think I expected I think I I think what I didn't expect was um, and, and the biggest challenge has been um, recognizing that the public arm of my job, in other words, whatever happens in court, whatever is happening in the office, whatever the actual challenges of what I think sometimes I call the real job. Yes. You know, the day-to-day stuff. Yes. Um, But then factoring in, and I have this whole other thing that I have, that, that is necessary for any public official, which is staying in touch with the public, being available to the public when, when you've got, you know, 14 million things that need to be done for the substance of the work apart from that, you know, just um, maintaining a public face and maintaining a public presence um, and managing people who have very, very, very different expectations. Right. I don't mean managing people. I mean, I guess I would say educating yeah. the public, you know, to have realistic expectations, yeah. to understand what we do, to, you know, I think a lot of people have these kind of preformed ideas. I know I did before I came into office, you know, what is it exactly that I, that I do here? What is it exactly that you do over there? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but realizing that I can't please everyone all the time that, you know, one person will, would, would, if they were to examine the facts of one case and not just a couple of blurbs in the paper, you know, but if you're to examine one case, you know, one person will look at one case and say, I expect mm-hmm. you, meaning me, you know, to bury that person under the jail <laughs> and to, you know, and, and right is right and wrong is wrong and they did it wrong. So they need to like, you know, and fill in the blank on, you know, the harshest penalty ever. Right. 
um, another person will look at that same um, case and say, you know what, you know, he or she has these problems. He or she had these setbacks. Yeah. He or she, Seeing you know, side. fill in the mitigation. Right. Um, what either if it's about character or circumstances or uh, uh, you know whatever that is, you know, there's a whole list of of things in every case that you could say these are aggravating. These are mitigating circumstances. Um, but knowing that another person would look at the same case and say, well, clearly, you know, <laughs> you shouldn't be prosecuting that at all. Right. I, I, and, and, and coming to the place where I, I've realized you can't please all people. People are going to look at cases uh-huh. very differently. And the reason that you are in the position that you're in is because your judgment is the one that really matters. I think that is so true. And you talk about the public side. And I know so many people probably wonder this. I know I'm one of them (laughs) that wonders this because we see you at all of these public events and you make yourself available to a lot of people in our community. And everyone knows who you are because you make sure that they do and you make yourself available to them. And that's a big part of your role. And I want to know how you juggle that all. How do you make this all happen and still show up at the events and still show up to the cookouts and the dinners and the, you know, everything going on in the community? How do you do that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I, I think it is very much juggling. Um, yeah. But, you know, I've heard it said that no one really multitasks. That Right. That if you're holding, if you're, if you're doing one task, you're doing it to the exclusion of other tasks. And I think that both of those analogies at different times are absolutely true. Um, when I'm in public doing anything, it means I am not at home relaxing. It, it, you know, right? When right. I, it means I'm not at work. You yes. know, sh- shoring up gaps that have to happen before my right. day. Um, you know, it means I'm not having dinner with my parents. It, yes. It, so. Um, right. So it's a sacrifice. Um, I, I, you know, I, I do think that it is very much a labor of love. It is. And, um, and it is about, um, prioritizing, you know, what, what, what is it that needs to happen this day? Um, in learning to take it one day at a time, you know, there are public events that I, I mean, I really want to and try yeah. to be as out there as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's important. I recognize that it's mm-hmm. important. It's it, because, you know, I, I know that if I say I have office hours, you know, from two to four on Fridays, then I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get takers. Right. Um, and um, because I've learned that from other people, mm-hmm. you know, I think you have to meet people where they are um, and say, especially if you want to hear from them, if you want to hear from them, you know. I mean, nothing drives me crazier than, than thinking that someone has a complaint and they, and they just aren't going to share it. Mm. Because so I can't address want, it. Yes. I can't address it. It's it's not real unless I have the opportunity to address it. Um, you know, it, it, anyone, anytime someone wants to come and say, I have a policy concern about how you're doing things in your office. Can I talk to you about it? I'd be like, absolutely. Let's sit yeah. down and have a conversation about that. You know, as long as, as long as, you know, as long as someone is honest mm-hmm. and um, actually concerned and that I want to have that conversation with right. them. But, but, you know, the likelihood that people are actually going to come to my office and want to have those conversations and are honest in their intent, you know, as opposed to running into someone at the fair and saying, how are you doing? Right. You know, um, and is there anything you want to talk about? You know, I think you get a different kind of Definitely. response. Definitely. Um, 
And but but I think that how do I juggle it is is a is a, is a difficult question. It, it, it is taking one day at a time. It is you know can I go to one of my most favorite things? You know go to the you know the you know the I don't I, I don't know can I go to the fair today, or um, or or does my mom need me? Right. Or do I need to do something for my dad? Yeah. You know, um, you know, do I have a family event that that really has to take precedent because yeah. of something happening? Right. You know. Um, you know, can I go to North Halifax this time, you know, or, or, or is there another family demand or another thing that I have to do that, that you know, do I have to work? Well, you, you know? definitely make a point to be at a lot of events and it's so appreciated. And, and that goes into the question of, you know, you are, I consider you a local celebrity. You may not, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yes, but you are in the public eye. And so what does that mean to you? And how does it make you feel when, you know, you are having to run errands and go to the grocery store or you take your mom and dad to a doctor's appointment or, or whatever it may be? Um, how does that make you feel to know that you're in a room and everyone knows who you are? And some of them may be nervous to come up and talk to you, but then you have a lot of people being in a small town that want to come up and just talk to you all the time. Like, how does that make you feel to know that everyone knows who you are when you walk into any room? You know, it's it's funny. Um, that that is a it, it's a it's a mix. Yeah. But, but I think on the whole, I, I knew that that's how it was going to be when yeah. I ran for public office because mm-hmm. because I had already experienced that just coming from um, the public defender and the, and and my private practice people already knew me not not in the way and not right. at the volume that they do now you touch but, a lot of lives but i knew that that would that would happen and that was part of the mantle that i assumed when i decided to run for public office so um you know that said um it, you know it, it I have a little debate with myself, you know, if I need to go shopping on Saturday mornings, is do I need to put mascara on or do I just go as I am? Um, but, you go, girl. You got it. <laughs> you know, but uh, I mean, I will tell you that there are times where, you know, I am in a hurry. Yeah. Um, um, but I know that when someone stops me or someone says hello or someone says, I, you know, I really need to talk to you. Um, it is, I interpret that as, um, on the spectrum of love or regard, um, Mm -hmm. or, or, or needing help. And there are times where I can't stop and drop everything. Right. Right. Um, because, uh, because again, if I'm at the grocery grocery (laughs) store, I'm probably, you know, on my way to go someplace else urgently, you know, um, uh, or I'm in transition to go to, you know, to go to work or, or Mm -hmm. I have someone waiting for me somewhere else. Um, but, um, but, but I try to tell people, I mean, I, 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 I try to be, you know, pleasant. Um, I, I generally feel pleasant. Um, but, um, you know, if someone needs something and it's something about a case or it's something mm-hmm. about a problem sure. that they have, you know, almost always I will say, look, here's my cell phone. Call me, you know, call me Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, or I can talk to you after hours, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I can't talk to you right now about this. Mm-hmm. But, but please, if there's an emergency, call 911. Um, but I can talk to you, you know, I'll find time. Let's, let's just make it happen in a way that I can concentrate on what you're saying. Um, and you have some measure of privacy when you're talking about, right. it, you know, instead of like over the peas in the corn. So, um, I try to respect the fact that if people are coming to me in public, it's meaningful as to their relationship with me. Yes. Um, and, and what I can try to do for them. Um, I just may have to reroute that conversation to a, to a, a different time, depending on the timing of it. <laughs> 
Well, that, I mean, hey, you're talking about giving your cell phone out. I mean, you are just super available to everyone. And I mean, I can attest to that. And, you know, just by you taking the time out to come on this podcast, I mean, you're making yourself available. And that just makes me feel so comforted to live in a place and safe, you know, to be, I just feel safe living here, knowing that we have people like you, you know, taking care of us because you are, you're taking care of so many people and you're helping so many people through this journey. So I want to know how you would describe your leadership style. Oh, that's interesting. So, um, I know you've learned (laughs) from, we heard from private practice. So what would, you know, what molded that and how do you describe it today? So when I think of leadership, I think of it in sort of different components right now. I think of it um, as a question about my management style within the office, mm-hmm. which is one answer. Okay. I also think of it, it as um, something broader. So, yeah. so in terms of my management style, um, and I learned this from Buddy Ward, um, mm-hmm. my the, the, just the best boss that I could have had um, and, and can conceive of, frankly, um, who was my boss at the public defender's office. Um, and that is hire good people train them well mm-hmm. and let them go. Mm. Um, not micromanaging. Um, I mean, when I micromanage it, it, it is, it is after, um, avoiding micromanagement like the plague. I right. Just, when you hire people and you train them and they're doing their job, you know, you, you leave them alone. Yes. You know, you're available to them. You know, you, you provide guidance, um, you know, you recognize um, that everyone is an equal team member that has a job just as important as yours. Um, recognizing the value in people. Um, you know, it is very, it, it, maybe it's a, I would call it a challenge in the position when you get busy and your nose is to the grindstone and you're go, go, go. Um, it is hard to stop and remember to give people positive praise. It is so easy right. to only recognize when something has gone wrong. Yes, and to and to say, you know what, we need to correct that. Yeah, you know, let's do that differently next time. Um, so, reminding myself to give people positive feedback is still a challenge for me because of, because of how busy we are. Yeah. Um, but I, but I think that I think the management style is um, kind of a loose hold. You know, um, I have to recognize people's value. I have to value their own leadership capacity within their own cases, within their own purview in the office. Um, and I'm there for guidance. Um, I mean, I will tell you, I, I, it's not that I don't have input into cases. It happens all the time where I see something and I say, um, I need to be in the loop on this case. I need to be, I need to have this case. Right. Um, th- but, but my staff knows me well enough to know if they have a question. And what I mean by that is not like they don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not sure how I would want the case handled. Mm. They know me well enough to know if they're approaching a line, they need to come talk to me about it. And that is what I'm there for. That puts me yes. in the, the, I enjoy being a mentor. I've had some great mentors, but I enjoy being a mentor. I enjoy people coming to me in my office and saying, we have this case. These are the, you know, these are mm-hmm. the facts. Um, you know, I was thinking this, what do you think? Um, that's the best position for me to be in because, um, and I love being in that position, you know, because it tells me, number one, they're thinking correctly. Yes. It, they're opening themselves for correction if they're not thinking correctly. Um, 
and I can tell them what I think. Mm-hmm. But I can also teach them in that moment Making what, they, what they should be thinking um, and what, what, what values, what to weigh the most heavily mm-hmm. in, in, in give, given a scenario. And so I would say, I would say uh, on the whole, my management style in the office is a loose hold. You know, I care very much about efficiency. I, I, I care very much about systems. Mm-hmm. And we're always, probably to the annoyance of a lot of people in my office, always looking for <laughs> ways to improve. That's um, how you grow. But, you know, but, I, but, but it's important to me to always grow better. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know that, that we are all imperfect. We yeah. are, we all are made that way, you know, and I, and I, I am very aware of being an imperfect person. And, um, and I think if we're all imperfect, then we all need systems that are better than us. And so I'm always looking for better systems. Um, but I think in a broader sense, leadership is also about modeling behavior. And, and, and I say that with due regard to the fact that we are not all on, 24-7. We can't yes. be on 24-7. Um, you know, I think parents have the hardest job ever, ever, ever. Um, and, I, you know, I, I am a stepmommy, mm-hmm. um, but um, but not a mommy. But I think if, if, if parents or people who fulfill parental roles, they are on 24-7. So you true. Know? Um, when they're doing a good job. And right. It's a real challenge. It you is. Know, it's a real challenge. Because when I came into this office, I thought... I had to be on 24-7, and it was absolutely exhausting um, to be on 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, but I think that is a, a, that's an example of what it means to be a leader. You know, of course, even leaders need to retreat. You know, even <laughs> leaders need a break, you know, and need a minute to, to decompress right. and, 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 frankly, do self-care and remain healthy. So important. But I think recognizing, you know, I think everyone is a leader. I think every single person on the face of the earth is a leader. The only question, and I say this to kids when I get to go talk to leadership yeah. classes. Um, the, the only question is, what is your sphere of influence? You know, you are a leader for somebody. Maybe it's one person. Maybe it's five people. Yes. Maybe it's 500 people. Maybe it's 5 million people. But you are a leader for a sphere of people. Some people don't want that. Some people cast it off. Like, no one's watching. No one cares about what I think. You know, they don't feel like they have to model for someone else. Well, right. the fact is you're always modeling for yes. someone else. Yes. You're modeling for a sister, a little brother. You're modeling for a friend. You're influencing someone with how you behave in front of them. And so recognizing that leaders are everywhere. It's just a question of how many people are you willing to influence you know, how many people are you yes. willing to own your yes. own actions as yes. modeling behavior for someone else? You know, because if you, you know, are somebody's big brother and you are breaking into, you know, someone's car, breaking into someone's storehouse, breaking into someone's house, you know, carrying a concealed weapon illegally, using illegal drugs, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, um, uh, you know, uh, avoiding um, uh, full-time employment. Right. Um, you know, wh- wh- whatever it is that, you know, if you are doing anything that is outside the sphere of what you know to be the best you, someone else is seeing that. Someone else is noting it and someone else is modeling that behavior or at least creating a capacity for themselves to do exactly what you are. Wow. That is so impactful. And we talk a lot about personal branding around here and, you know, even 
what you just said just hit home. So I hope everyone just really wrote that down and listened to that and re-listened to it because it's so true. No matter what you're doing, whether it's good or bad, you're making an impact on people's lives. And we just hope that you start making an impact in a positive way. No matter what position you're in or where you are at in life, let's turn it around and make a positive impact because that's what we're here for. And I want to know what advice you have for people that are just getting into their career or they're in their career and they're lost and don't know what they're doing um, or where they want to go, what advice would you give them today? So I think um, I'm going to dovetail on what we were just talking about. I think there are two things. I mean, number one, um, deciding to have a positive impact. Yeah. Um, And whether that's on a single person or on um, a specific corner of a specific market mm-hmm. um, or on a community in general, deciding to have a positive impact, modeling positive um, attributes, positive character traits, um, a, a healthy skill set in, mm-hmm. you know, um, in whatever that field is. Um, you know, being a leader, you don't have to be a big leader, you can be a small leader, but deciding to um, whatever you're going to do, do it in the best way that you can, you know, um, I can't quote Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther King, you know, said something that was impactful to me. And the sentiment is, I don't care if you're a janitor, you do it the best that you can. You be the best thing of whatever you've chosen to be that you possibly can be. Um, that's number one. And number two is choose something you love. Yes. Because I believe that if you're willing to work hard, then you're going to make money. You're going to make ends meet. You know, maybe you won't be a billionaire, mm-hmm. but you're going to make um, enough to make you happy. Yes. And if you're doing something that makes you happy, if you're busy on your day to day basis doing something that you enjoy, mm-hmm. then then you're going to be a much better person for mm-hmm. it. You're going to be much more content. You're going to model peaceful, good, healthy behavior for other people. Um, and so I think that's what it gets down to. I think so many people make decisions about their career based on money and money mm, al- and money right, alone. Right, right. You know, sometimes I talk to kids and, um, which are some of my favorite conversations, but, you know, sometimes kids, they, they don't really have a thing that they want to do. They just know they want to make money. Mm. Um, and, th- and there is a value to that. I mean, there is a value to arranging your life around the idea of making money. Sure. Um, the value of it really is about making good choices for yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the value in saying, I want to make money means I hope I should finish school. I should make good grades. I should get, you know, an, either an extended career, a a development, either in a trade or in an education. Um, you know, I should behave myself (laughs) so that someone will hire me. You know, I should have good social media presence or none so that an employer or a school who's doing, you know, the deep dive on me doesn't see me being crass, being ugly, being bullish, you know, online. That stuff lasts forever. Love it. Yes. But, but I think that, um, but if you, if you, if it gets down to it, you choose something, um, that you really love because making money at the end of the day is never enough for anybody. You, know, mm-hmm. you may think it's enough, but it's never enough to sustain you, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, you're going to spend eight, 10, sometimes 12 <laughs> hours a day you know, doing the thing that you're choosing, you know, as your career, or at least your career that you're, that you're doing right now. Right. So, so it should be something that you enjoy. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it should be something you enjoy. Yes. And I, we're very goal driven at Rogers. Uh, we know every team member's goals and we want to help them achieve those. And I want to know what your current goals are. <laughs> well, um, so my, it's funny. I don't really, I have so many and so little. Yeah. Um, I think that I'm I'm very um, pleased and happy to be doing what I'm doing now. I love the position that I have. Um, I mean, there are things that I don't love about it. I don't love being vastly understaffed. I don't I don't mm-hmm. I don't love um, an overwhelming amount of work given the amount of staff that we currently sure. have. But um, but as far as the content of what we do, I love yeah. what we do. Um, and so my goals um, in terms of work are to be better at it, to do it better, to be more efficient, to provide more quality uh, to the community, to be more accessible, to be uh, more in a position of being an educator for young folk, for the public about what we do, why we do it, mm-hmm. um, to con- to be more connected, mm-hmm. um, which is a challenge when we're in a period right now where we're just kind of making it right um you know with with the sometimes just the basics but um but but those are goals in terms of like how can i do this job better right it's just to do it better and find ways to do it better and and then to create um spaces of time where i can um, accomplish those things but also um learning to do it more efficiently so that i can take care of myself and my family better Mm -hmm. you know i've gone through um a career, uh, a service career, and, and I mean from the get-go, from yes. from my public defender days through the present, where the career has always been top priority, mm-hmm. you know, and satisfying the career mm-hmm. is top priority. Mm-hmm. And what that has led me to do is sacrifice mounds and mounds and mounds of personal time with the people that I love the most mm-hmm. in my life, mm-hmm. you know, my mother, my father, mm-hmm. my husband, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, 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 my whole extended family, frankly, um, you know, that, and so realizing that I need to do, not only do I need to do better work, but I need to do it more efficiently so that I can also have a life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, is probably, uh, my goal. My goal is to have a life. Okay. Um, and to still, um, uh, not diminish, the quality of the service that we provide for the county. I think those are great goals, and I know that you'll achieve them. We, I ask this on every on every podcast, and um, I want to know, if you could have dinner with one living person outside of your family, who would it be? Oh, so, um, it's funny, I've had a, a similar questions in the past um, in, say, job interviews and such. Um, and I have really come to a place where, um, I, honestly, I would want to sit down with Jesus. I need all the guidance I can get. Yes. I've got lots of questions. Um, and and honestly, so many of them are self-focused. What can I do better? What have I, what have I messed up? What can I fix? You know, how do I do this better? Where am I going next? Anyway, <laughs> you know, what's the, what's the next thing that I can do better? We yeah. know what's, you know, what's going to happen next year? What's going to happen, you know, to my family? Um, you know, wh- 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 what do I do? Mm-hmm. All kinds of questions that I, that I, that I want answered and we just don't get answered, you know? Right. We have to learn with, we have to learn to live with mystery. Yes. Um, 
And I learn it every day. Yeah. Like, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, you know, and, and, and being content with that. Um, but, um, but when I pray, um, which is about every day, um, I'm either praying for, um, for protection of a loved one, Mm -hmm. for, um, for us to do good in, in what we do in, in the Commonwealth Attorney's office to achieve good to do the best we can, um, for our choices to be governed by, um, God Mm -hmm. and, uh, and to, and to align our will with his, but sometimes it's a bit of a mystery to know what that will is. And so, um, you know, being able to ask, um, you know, to sit down over, um, you know, over, over some good manna. Yes. Uh, with Jesus to say, what, what would you have me do today? What would you have me do, you know, next month, next year, in 10 years, you know, where, where will, where, where will our country, our county, Mm -hmm. our family be, you know, in 10 years, what can we do to, you know, align that future with your will? I mean, these are things that you want to ask. And, you know, the beautiful thing is, and it's, it's sometimes a little less unsatisfying to hear the kind of the preacher in my head go, (laughs) well, all you have to do is pray, (laughs) you know, and he'll answer in his time. Yes. And you'll get those answers in one form or another yes. at some point. <laughs> so maybe the answer is we get to sit down with him at dinner every night. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I like to I like to think that's true. Sometimes you just, you know, sometimes you just, you know, sometimes when you think about your mom, you're like, I just want to hug my mom. Right. Right. You know, I just want to hug my dad. Yeah. I just want to feel you know, his hand in mine. And, and I know that they won't always be with me. Yeah. And I know that it's different to hug them. Mm-hmm. I know it's mm-hmm. different to feel them. Right. Um, than not being able to. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you wish you could just sit down with, you know, with Jesus or, or, mm-hmm. or, 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 or for, for people that are not Christian for, to, to the, the, a person, right. A person that is your God. Mm-hmm. To say, how can I do this better? You know, help me. Um, it's sort of a dream. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of a, I don't, it's, it's a little bit of a, a loaded question, I guess, for me. Well, I think it's a great <laughs> answer. And it's, it's a testament to everything that we've talked about today. And I think the theme of this podcast and this episode is impact. And you have made a huge impact in my life um, multiple times throughout my life, but especially today, getting to sit down with you and get to know you better, get to know, you know, where you came from and how you got to where you are today. And I know for a fact that you're making an impact in our community. You're making an impact in people's lives every day and all of our listeners listening today, I know you've made an impact in their lives. And I just appreciate everything that you are doing for everyone around you. And I cannot wait to see you hit your goals and you continue to grow. And I cannot wait to see where you go from here. And I just thank you so much for being here today on the Rogers Radio Podcast. It's very humbling, Alyssa. Thank you so much. And thank you for the opportunity to, to speak with your listeners. Yes, absolutely. And thank you all for listening to the Rogers Radio Podcast. I look forward to hearing um, 
from you. I love all of the comments, all of the reviews. Continue sending them my way and letting me know what you want to hear on each episode. And we will see you next week.